As the ushers finished taking the offering, I was sitting on the front pew thinking, who can I offend today? No, I'm joking. I was thinking about that last song, though, and this is where I could offend somebody. All you from Lacrete really enjoyed it, didn't you? First service, I offended Baptists. I talked about bedside Baptists, and uh, one of the staff jokingly texted me and said he was offended. So, uh, but I'm glad you're here. In fact, I'm shocked you're here. This is the day we lose an hour of sleep. And uh, of course, as I was checking the news this morning, I saw that there's, uh, I think I read 30 states in the US that are trying to tell the federal government to uh, ditch the times change. I grew up in Fort St. John. We're the smart ones there. And then I moved to Saskatchewan. And uh, they didn't change their time either. And uh, I know if you guys want to argue with me, I've done some research. So come bring it on, bring it on. The time change was all out of jealousy over Germany, and I'll just leave it at that. Those Germans, everybody was afraid they were going to get something one up on us because they're so efficient, such hard workers, so we started doing what they do. And uh, isn't that weird how we do that as people? We don't want someone to get advantage of us, and so we do what they do, whether it's right or wrong. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we've been in the book of Acts. And that's actually an example we want to take. Uh, We want to look at the church in the early church in the book of Acts, and we want to say, uh, I want to be more like that. And I know more than getting caught up in the details, I believe the big picture of the book of Acts is how your Holy Spirit led, how your voice, your sheep heard your voice, recognized your voice, were led by your voice. Uh, The Apostle Paul or a missionary would go here or there because they had a dream, they had a vision, they heard your voice and they went. Or the early church would say, uh, seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us, so so they sent somebody. God, we want to become more and more a church that's alive, individuals that are alive in you, Jesus. And so as we read Acts, may it come alive to us. May it, may it get us sort of jealous and wondering. And may we become more like what they experienced. At the very end, the last verse we're going to read today, it, it declares how they had the favor of men. And it's all because of what was going on in each of their hearts. So, so God, help us to see that today. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. So as I start this book of Acts chapter 2, verse 42, I want to start off by saying I believe there are two very big dangers of the church or in the church today. And you might go, well, it's the pastors. Well, maybe. Or maybe you think it's the colors of our pews. Well, maybe. But I think the two biggest dangers in the church today, number one is forgetting who we are. Forgetting who we are. And the second danger, you're going to think, contradicts the first danger, but I think if we forget who we are, we also can be in danger of not keeping up with the cultural changes in our society. And you're going to wonder, well, that's why we forget who we are, because we keep changing things. I want to bring up two companies to you, Kodak Film, Kodak Photo Company, whatever they were called. Kodak, what were they about? Anybody remember? You have to be really old. Kodak's barely around. I think somebody bought them in bankruptcy. They were about film. They actually weren't about film. They were about photography. But they became about film. In other words, they let the medium become what they were about. They originally were about photography. 
They did everything photography. And then as technology changed, they said, oh, it's a passing fad. Everybody's going to still need film. Film's just the best thing. And that kind of sunk them. Second company, Timex Watches. I don't have a Timex anymore, but I used to have one. Timex Watch, by the way, they were the one of the ones that first came out with the digital watch, but the old boys club decided at one point in their journey, that's a fad, we are gonna keep putting our P's and Q's and dollars into making the best wind-up, self-winding watch, whatever it would be, old technology that we can. We're gonna make them look nice. They're gonna tell time perfectly. It's going to be incredible. They even made electric watches running on batteries. But when the digital age came, they said, that's a fad. You see, because they became about the medium, about the watch and how it worked, instead of about being a company that told time the best way that we could. So we as a church are in danger of forgetting who we are. And we start getting caught up in kind of ritual and methods and styles and projections and colors of pews and the way we sit out in church. And I, my hat's off to all the PRBI students that are gonna be going out in a few years and trying to do things differently, but remembering what we are as a core as a church. What's the number one verse you can think about who we are as a church? Anybody? The Great Commission would be the answer. Sorry, I jumped in before you could give it to me. But Matthew 28 says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. In other words, letting them be part of the family and teaching them everything I have commanded you. So we are about outreach. We are about teaching. And this is what the, this, that passage, by the way, was prescriptive, not descriptive. It wasn't describing like the passage we're looking at today, but it was prescribing, saying, do this as a church, and then we get to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and we start to see the unfolding of the power of the Holy Spirit, the unfolding of God's plan and journey into the world. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the first thing that happened is you start to see what core activities the church began to do. Acts chapter two, verse 42. They, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Interesting thing about fellowship. We are most damaged and hurt in community, but God has designed it that we are also healed and made whole in community. It goes right back to the Garden of Eden. Adam was created. God looked at Adam and said, it isn't good that he's alone. He needs somebody just like himself. And Adam had walks with God in the garden. He had direct contact with God. But God said, that's not enough. He needs somebody like himself. So we are created to be in community. And then sin enters. And I will tell you that in the scriptures, in the New Testament, after the cross of Jesus Christ, we have been created to be healed in community. But you know that we are also hurt deeply in community. This side of heaven, it'll never be perfect, and I look forward to heaven. But they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. They had communion. They remembered who Jesus was, and finally to prayer. These were kind of the core things that the early church did. Looking at us as a church, how are we doing? And let me point the finger back at you. Looking at you as a church, how are we doing? How are we doing with teaching, fellowship, communion, prayer? 
And again, let me give a warning to this text. This is describing something. It's not prescribing. Because I would argue there's something missing. But it does get included as we go further in the text. But what's one thing missing? I gave the clue already in Matthew 28. What's one thing missing in this four description? Come on, there's an evangelist out here. There's no evangelism mentioned here. But it does get mentioned. It's kind of cool how it brings it back up. But there are four things described here what the early church is about. And we can look at the early church and say, how are we doing? Have we forgot who we are? Are we just about rituals? Are we just about nice big screens? Are we just about microphones and TVs and colors? Are we about entertaining? You probably know the number one thing that churches and pastors describe as the biggest struggle is how consumerism has entered the pews. And I want to say to you as you study this passage, stop consuming, stop being entertained. Pull up your stocks, hear the shepherd's voice, and follow him. And hopefully we will become a church that is teaching, fellowshipping, communion, and prayer. You as a follower of Jesus will not see any significant change in your life. You will not see any healing happen in your life until you find out who you are in Christ, you're being taught, and you start living it through fellowship in the church, and you start partaking in communion, which is a real good symbolic thing about sitting at the table and eating with us. You will not grow until you start to pray with others. And I love how the text goes on in verse 43. It starts to allude to what I would call the glue that holds us all together. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe. And here's why. They were filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Friends, there was healing that happened in the early church. And we at Grand Prairie Alliance Church, we have seen a lot of healings. And it, one of the funniest parts I know, and I've told you this, I know of at least six ladies that were able to have babies because their elders prayed for them. And that's kind of a weird statistic. And some, the Lord says, my grace is sufficient. And they don't have children for this reason or that reason. But God still heals. More importantly, I have seen people in our church through the Holy Spirit weekend, through soul care, through sermons like a three or four Sundays ago that are being healed in their soul wounds. And I don't think there's one of us here that don't have soul wounds. We've believed a lie. And let me encourage you, we have soul care coming up, and you need to know this is intense stuff. Soul care starts, and it's all day Wednesday, all day Thursday, all day Friday, and Saturday. It's long, it's intense, and it will reveal to you the truth of the gospel. This is the apostles' teaching. This is fellowshipping and praying for one another. This is finding healing, because when this starts to happen in the church, you're gonna see something really incredible that takes place. When miracles start to take place in our souls, when we start to be transformed from the fleshly character, the old man that we have been, into the new creation in Christ, when we develop more and more and discover who we are in Jesus, when we start living and being filled with the Spirit, people take notice. This awe that the 
church began to experience and see, I thought of a passage that probably many of you know, and as I looked up this passage in the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament, Zechariah is a prophetic book, and uh, Zechariah basically is about renewal. And in Zechariah chapter four, Zechariah gets a word from the Lord for a guy by the name of Zerubbabel. I love that name, Zerubbabel. Why doesn't anybody name their kids Zerubbabel? Maybe I could name a dog Zerubbabel, or that'd be a hard one to say. But Zerubbabel, as you read along in the text after this, he is tasked with rebuilding the temple. And, uh, but this, these words, which all of us have probably heard before, this is kind of like the groundwork to this rebuilding the temple stuff. You see, we can get caught up in the medium. We are about making film. We are about the hymns we sing. We are about, and we can forget what our core is. So Zerubbabel is told these things. So he said to me in Zechariah 4, 6, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. You see, God wanted Zerubbabel to know, I'm about to task you with a task just to do something with bricks and mortar. But I want you to understand before you do any of that, the core part is it's not by your hands, it's not by the work, it's not by the building you do, but it's by my spirit that we move along. Heaven forbid we ever become a church that's just about bricks and mortar, about how we sing songs. We can become so culturally irrelevant we have my good friend here on the front pew who is reaching out to new Canadians who spent time in Indonesia and he had to learn their language. Can you imagine the arrogance of him if he went to Indonesia and said, okay, now I'm gonna teach you English because that's how we do church. And you're gonna wear three-piece suits and ties because that's how we do church. And we're gonna sing from our purple hymn book because that's how we do church. He didn't do that, I can tell you that. I know him well enough. He went and learned the culture and he knew what we were as a core of believers in Christ. He knew he needed to teach about Jesus Christ and why he died on the cross. He knew to teach that we were lost and need to be found. He knew to teach that we need to be born again and we need to grow in our faith. He needed to teach the apostles' teachings. He needed to teach that they could have their soul wounds healed. I read a really good quote this week, and it comes from a guy by the name of Pastor Ray Dirksen, and he's in Manitoba, and you ask what good comes from Manitoba. Well, here it is. Pastor Ray writes, sometimes pastors will attempt to improve their worship experience, i.e. singing, in their services by improving the band or by the use of lights and audio effects. While it is always appropriate, while it is always appropriate to give God our best, I don't wish to minimalize this, this is not what really affects the worship experience for the congregation. I'm speaking to consumers right now. This isn't really what's going to affect your worship. What really affects the worship experience is when God shows up, when there's an awe that sweeps over the place. This is what affects worship. And the way to do that is to change the people in their own personal lives. If 
people truly worship God in their personal lives, then when they come together, they will bring God with them, multiplying the accompanying effects of his presence. The experience of his presence among his gathered people will be palpable. No amount of cajoling God, some pastor's prayers, and no amount of tech savviness can manufacture that in the church service, amen? So we as a church are on a journey. And I told you back, way back in May and at the annual meeting, the journey started with me. And I have been working really hard, being mentored at 58 years old by a 30-year-old man in Manitoba, and I can tell you what the mentoring is working at is getting my devotional life, my walk with God, so that I can hear God's voice clearer than I've ever heard before. And I can tell you that my worship is changing here in church. Nothing's gone different. They're still doing a like, but I've started to change. And I've started to work with the elders. We had an elders meeting two weeks ago. We never actually got to the business of the church till after eight o'clock, and we were done by 10 o'clock. How does that happen? We used to have business start at seven and go to midnight. We spent the first hour and a half confessing our sins to each other, praying for each other, worshiping God with each other. Then we got to the business. That honestly is secondary to what we are about as a church. We are about salvation, restoration, souls being healed. Let me say it again. You will not see any significant change in you until you find out who you are in Christ. If you're being taught and then you start to live it through the fellowship of the community of the church, and you begin to pray with yourself, with God, and with others with God, and then you have an awe at the power as you see God transforming you and transforming others, then you're gonna see this response happen, and I love it in verse 44. When we respond, when the response of core activity in God's power was this, verse 44. All the believers, all the believers were together, and had everything in common. Now, this doesn't mean that they lived in a commune. This means that they held on to all their stuff loosely. Here, verse 45 describes what happened. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. You know what this is describing? It's describing family. I have known parents in this church who have sold stuff they have so that their children could have something. That's what family does. And there was such a sense of God's power and unity and closeness and God's focus, hearing God's voice, that, that self-preservation, that, that self-deception that happens when you're without God and you're trying to cope with God without Christ, that melted away. And as the scripture said, the church began to consider others more important than themselves and they quit trying to build up a kingdom and build bigger barns and they cared so much about each other that they sold property and possessions to give to anyone in need. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. This family loved each other. Uh, they broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. You may not realize this, but the church has always been on the cutting edge in any community and society. We were the first ones to build hospitals, the first ones to build universities, the first ones to start education. Our missionaries, that's something they still do to this day all over the world. 
when we start being the church, when we get, get back to find out who we are in Christ, we're being taught what the apostles taught and what Jesus taught, and we start living it through fellowship, through communion, through prayer, and then we start to experience this awe of the power of God transforming us, friends, we become irresistible. Listen to the text, verse 47. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When you read Acts 1.8, the very beginning, we preached it a few weeks ago, the disciples were told to wait in Jerusalem until the power of the Holy Spirit came. And it's really interesting because Jesus described this. He said, you need to wait and when the Holy Spirit comes, then you will be my witnesses here in Grand Prairie, in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, and in Indonesia and wherever it'll be. We need the presence and the power and the healing of God in our lives. We need our souls purified. I'm not talking perfection here. I'm talking about journey. I'm talking about relationship with the Father. And when we as a church get that, something miraculous happens. We become irresistible and people look in. They look across the fence in your yard. They see how you treat them. They see how you treat the teller and they start to go, whatever you have, whatever Kool-Aid you're drinking, and I'm not trying to say that we have a weird Kool-Aid we drink, but whatever you guys got, I want it. We'd become irresistible. And, and so that sort of being witnesses, we always think, oh, it's with I need to learn the, how to share the gospel. Well, yeah, that's part of it. But it's really saying that you are going to live out who you are in Christ. Please note, the church at this time was not known for the rules Although understand that the church at this time had a high moral standard that wasn't like the world, but they were mostly known first and foremost for their love. The church was known for family, for loving each other, and for loving others. They were known for loving God and experiencing his healing power. I already said it, but I want to say it again. We are hurt and damaged in community, but God has designed it that the community, the church, is where we will find healing. And when that healing begins to happen, there will be an awe that will sweep this place. And then the community will start to notice. And it's not the kind of thing that church or the community will notice because we're dancing or we're yelling or we're shouting. I mean, that might happen, but it's gonna be something change in your eyes. Something's gonna change in your demeanor. So in conclusion, yes, we are a moral community. Unfortunately, it's all we're knowing about. But more importantly, we are about God's power flowing through us. A couple of weeks ago, 120 people came down to the front. And I said it last week, and I want to say it again. How are you doing, 120 people? Are you still experiencing his power? Because we're in danger of that being a visitation of God. And our desire, and I think from the Scripture's teaching, we want it to be a habitation. 
We want God in your life. We want you on your knees. We want you to hear his voice. We want you to come together in your small groups and praise and testify and confess and spend half of your time meeting before you even get to the Bible study stuff because you're in community breaking bread. But secondly, in conclusion, let me ask you a question. Do you include God in the busy spaces of your lives? Talk to any pastor, myself included, and I have noticed a shift where church is something we do if nothing better comes up. You know, I think the problem is is we don't have much awe around here. And I don't mean that we gotta, I've told you a few weeks ago, I'm not talking about some weird charismatic, whatever happened. I'm not talking about that chandelier swing. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about souls transformed. Your hurts healed. Your bitterness released. The lies that Satan has convinced you for years that are holding you back, let go. And then we look at each other and go, wow, you're not who you used to be. And then we come together and our worship becomes something incredible. Maybe with a country song, the Lacrete people might start dancing because they've been set free. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, may we become the church like Acts was. And I've, I've read ahead. I've read what the Corinthian church became just Oh, it wasn't even 40, 50 years later. They had forgot the core beliefs, the core practices. And we had one man sleeping with his father's wife. We had people suing each other. Uh, This sense of family and forgiveness and, and awe, it was gone. And Paul spoke so firmly to that church in Corinth, and may we, maybe we are that church in Grand Prairie, and God is speaking to us. And it starts, first of all, with me individually, the pastor. And God, I have been, in a sense, in a renewal of my own soul in the last year. And as I've invited others into this renewal, God, I have been so thrilled to see and experience with awe what you are doing. And there's a lot of people here, this is kind of intriguing them. They're kind of going, oh, this, this is kind of new to me. Or, or maybe some are saying, I'm freaked right out. I've been in a church that starts claiming this kind of stuff. And God, may you be here, not some conjured up, manufactured film strip or, or digital silly watch thing. God, may your power show up here. And at the end of our services, Father, we always have a time of prayer. And there may be some here today that just need to have some prayer with some people that love to pray. May we be a church of prayer, of fellowship, of teaching. May we be a church that is in awe of you, God. May we be a church that sends teams to Edmonton to reach out to the new Canadians there. May we be a church that reaches out to our new Canadians here. Seeing them and loving them as creations of God and not some foreigner who's different. God, would you stir in our hearts that we would be attractive, that we would be family. 
Break down all the strongholds that we have built up over the years individually and as a church. Break down any structure that we have that is causing us to think we have the glory and presence of God. And I just pray, Heavenly Father, that you will continue to do this work tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then we'll come together Sunday and the individuals will have experienced so much of your presence that the worship will take on a new form. And the wonderful worship team, as good as they are, it won't be about that. As much as the projection is clear, it won't be about that. The lighting, the dimming, it won't be about that. But it'll be because I have heard your voice this week. God, do this work in each of us so that we are an attractive church. And I don't pray just for our church, but for every church in Grand Prairie. Let us become attractive. I can just imagine. I don't even know how many churches we have. Can you imagine, God, 30 churches becoming attractive? We could have 50,000 people in churches. We could have 70,000 people in churches. And this beautiful city would start a new movement of an Acts church. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray these things. Amen.